You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Victor Wooten is a bassist, songwriter, record producer, and a writer. He has been a bassist for Bela Fleck and the Flecktones since the group's formation and a member of the band SMV with two other bassists, Stanley Clark and Marcus Miller. Since 2017, he's played bass for the metal band Nitro. He's won five Grammys. He wrote the novel The Music Lesson, A Spiritual Search for Growth Through Music. His new novel, a sequel to The Music Lesson, is The Spirit of Music. The lesson continues. Thank you for joining me, Vic. Thank you for having me, Rick. I'm happy to be here. You know, um, as I started this book, I thought, well, this is very interesting. It's a kind of an, uh, reads like an autobiography. He's telling about his life. He goes to visit his parents, and this is all good. And slowly but surely, we get into the twilight zone. You start dialing, uh, playing with the reality setting on your writing meter. So I'd like you to talk about um, creating a, a story that uses the elements of the fantastic to address a very real and interesting problem, which is music, and to um, create a story that inspires us to understand music and in a real world better by understanding that music is really not a part of our everyday real world, in a sense. Well, uh, a couple of things I would say that music is a part of our everyday real world at mm -hmm. all times, whether we realize it or not. Music is always a part of it. If you think of you know, every major event in our lives, weddings, funerals, graduations, birthdays, music is involved. Mm. You don't see a television show, a movie, or a commercial that doesn't have music. And even in the silence, that's also a part of music. You know, nature expresses it. Every vibration is a form of it. So I think music is there. And, and that's one of the things I want to relate with these books is to show people that music is not just on an instrument. It's something that we carry uh, around with us, whether we realize it or not, at all times. You know, you speak at the very beginning of the book of your friend Gus, who has what sounds like a really amazing piece of technology. Uh, explain that, what that technology is, and how that technology makes you understand how real music is. Okay, are we still together here? Yeah. Okay, great, great, great. That, that may have been my fault. I had to change to a better Wi-Fi, so I think we should be better here now. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, Gus um, uh, is, a, is a, a friend um, that I know, uh, you know, uh, all the characters in the book are based off of real people. Uh, no, I shouldn't say that. They're inspired by real people. And in many cases, I use the first name of the person that I'm talking about. I just don't use the last name. But in recording, digital recording, uh, the... The main re digital recording platforms will record uh, 192,000 pieces of information per second. And that's what we're used to hearing with digital recording. Well, this guy, Gus, 
he's the he's one of the people that helped invent digital recording so that we could all have a little small what we call a DAW, which is called a digital audio workstation, meaning I could literally sit in my bathroom or my bedroom and make a good sounding record. Anyone mm-hmm. can do that now. And thanks to Gus and, and some of his people, uh, his friends, they came up with this technology. Well, Gus wasn't satisfied with the technology. Um, from what I remember him saying is that we stopped working on it too soon. And uh, and so he kept working on it. And he invented another digital platform that records close to three million pieces of information per second. And so it duplicates the two inch tape, which all of our favorite music was recorded on two inch tape back in the you know 60s. Mm-hmm. And so his music, you not you not only hear it, but you feel it. And to the normal ear, you may not even hear a difference, but you will definitely feel it, you know. And and when I tell people, like, there's a story in this book where this woman is listening to this Gus's software, and she literally takes her shawl off of her arms and says that she can feel the music, like, like floating over her skin. So for some people, that may be fiction or a stretch of reality. For that woman, it wasn't. And so, in in my opinion of these books, uh, the books will go as far as the reader is willing to go. And if the reader thinks we've left reality, I'm cool with that as long as they keep reading. <laughs> but for some people, especially the people who have come to my music camps, and I have a camp actually called The Spirit of Music, for those for those people who have been to that camp, they are actually reading a different book than the normal person. How interesting! <laughs> yeah, and the normal person will get a lot from it, will mm-hmm. understand it, but it'll be like Star Wars or Avatar or Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It will leave what we call reality, but I'm fine with that. You know, as long as someone gets enjoyment out of it, and as long as their reality gets stretched a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they reach enjoyment and and find a way to connect with music a little better. I'm totally happy with that. But I will say this, not because I'm a good writer, um, but the book is written on a few different levels where different people, even musicians, will understand things that non-musicians don't. Mm-hmm. But it's written in a way, hopefully, that everybody, musical or not, can get something from it. It's super enjoyable to read. And I think one of the things that worked best for me was that this music inspired me to think about or this music. <laughs> I, <laughs> See, you yeah. can't get away from it. Right? <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I think that um, this book inspired me to think about music a little bit in a different way. Good. Music is, uh, in a sense, an, an analogous to, to writing. When you listen to a song... Even if it's an instrumental song, that song is telling us a story, but it's communicating in a language that, while universal, everybody will understand. Nobody will understand the song the same way, but they'll still get the the emotions of the song. This is like the way that you describe music in this. It's like a form almost of telepathy where you are able to intuit and understand and actually experience, feel in your body, and in your mind, the emotions that are being communicated by the musician. Absolutely right, Rick. You're absolutely right. Because music deals more with feeling mm-hmm. than it does 
with the brain and, and having to know what each note means. You know, a lot of us, you know, well-practiced musicians, we try to turn it into a thinking thing, but music is really a, a thing that you feel. And in many cases, the music, because it's instrumental, it allows you to choose what you feel and what you want to think about it. Where lyrics will tell you what to think, mm-hmm. the music allows you to feel it in your own way. As you wrote this book, did you experience the feeling of writing about music in the same way that you create music yourself? In other words, um, your music tells stories and you are telling stories here just in a normal story form. Talk about the interplay for you between the music and the story because you did a soundtrack for your previous novel. As well as this one, the soundtrack for this one, meaning the audio book will be coming out soon mm-hmm. for this book, The Spirit of Music. And yes, I did that for the, the music lesson also. And then like a movie, I just made a, a literal soundtrack album, meaning mm-hmm. of just the music, you know, like people will do for a movie. So I will eventually do the same thing for this one. But like, excuse me, like when we talk, we're so used to talking that we don't really we 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 rarely think about the miraculous things that are going on right when you feel something or you when you get an idea we don't really know where it comes from it's just out there every time we think like when you get an idea and you want to ask me or someone else a question it appears from somewhere by the time it reaches your lips it has appeared it's formulated in your head, you already know what it is, whether you realize it or not. But then to tell me, you have to make it physical. You have to formulate it into words. And then your mouth does it on its own, right? You're not thinking about the instrument we call the mouth or the larynx or the Adam's apple or the lungs and the stomach. All these instruments that we're using just to relate some words, they're happening on their own. The thoughts come from some invisible place and they turn into physical words that vibrate the air and reach my ears. There's a lot of miracles taking place. Those same miracles can take place when you play music. And what us musicians are trying to do is to make the process as effortless as talking. So that music exists already, just like that thought, that energy. It just has to enter into us. We have to make it physical through instruments so that you can hear it, so that I can express my musical thought to you. There's a lot going on. Writing is the same. But instead of talking about the idea, instead of playing about the idea, I write it down. But in a sense, the process is the same. It's just how comfortable are we with the process? Now, that's wonderful. When you... Right. Do you use a pen or do you type on a keyboard? I, for the most part, type on a keyboard unless I get an idea that has to get. I type very slowly. Mm. So sometimes I may not be at my keyboard. I might be in the car. I might be in the bathroom. I might be, uh, you know, in washing dishes. At that point, I'm either going to talk that idea into my phone which is the fastest, even Mm -hmm. faster than writing it down. But writing it down is faster than typing. So it depends on kind of where I am. So I have a lot of written notes, but by the time I'm writing the book, it's done through typing. 
bad now, typing. <laughs> yeah, I, I I concur. You you didn't see all the reverses and spaces on in our in you know, <laughs> conversation, and when I had to go back and say, oh no no no, should just not have a semicolon in it. Yes yes yes. Now, um, one of the things I I really enjoyed about this book was the way that you, um think about music you think about music as she so talk about personifying music yeah well um i i really did that for my own reasons but when when i think about how much patience music seems to have uh it it has to be more of a she than a he if i had to really go down on record as saying one thing i would say it's it's both Mm-hmm. And more than even just both. But if, if I think about this, music, like like the female energy, um, the way I say it is, is music, and, and my brothers are the ones that pointed me down this road, so I can blame them if, if people don't like it. But, but music, music can get you to do things without force. Mm. You write about right? that in this book, and there's, there's exactly. examples of that. Exactly. And that's female energy right there. Men will resort to force because we have muscles. We're stronger. So we'll use force. I heard a great uh, interview yesterday of a woman who did a story on four female cops in Minneapolis, in, uh, in Minnesota, four female cops. And the cops were talking about how they use their brain muscle where men might resort to using their physical muscle to solve problems and to de-escalate situations in the police force. Music does the same thing, as I wrote about in the book. If a policeman says, everybody raise your hands in the air, versus a politician saying, everybody raise your hands in the air, versus a musician saying, everybody raise your hands in the air, the musician will get the biggest response. And people will raise their hands in their air on their own, without question. And so the musician is exhilarate is 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 exemplifying. Is that the right word? The musician is using a feminine energy, which doesn't take force, and you are convinced to do it on your own. So I say that music is like that. When you hear a song and you just can't help but move, no one forced you to. The music is gentle. It's a gentle persuasion, and for me, that's feminine energy. True upper body strength. Exactly. Yeah, way up here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, um, as I read this book, I like the the way that you create the, the musicians and the way that they talk about music. So talk about creating these characters who, um, while based on real people or, I guess, exemplars or externalized your version of real people, also address some of the basic, you know, aspects of the musical experience for you as a musician and a writer. Sure. Well, I wanted the public, whether they're a musician or not, to be able to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, even if I if I if I say a a a, con- a musical concept such as a G sus chord, you know, mm-hmm. you and I might know what that means, but the general public may not. 
So for me to get the point across of where I want to go with this Jesus chord in relationship to Jesus in the Bible, I first have to explain what a Jesus chord is, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and it's a, it's a type of chord and all this kind of thing. And then I can I can also kind of explain what the Jesus chord is as we go along. Like you get a Jesus chord by raising the third note. Mm-hmm. Right. You raise the third and then people in their head. Every time I explain this to people, people go. Oh, wow. And they get it relating to Jesus, who was raised on the third day, you know. And so I just want to make sure uh, that I, I explain things clearly for the non-musician, because in in the music theory world, I don't go that far in the books with mm-hmm. music theory, not that far. But. With my own music theory, I go quite a quite a ways. That and, was and exactly showing, what yeah. I was going to yeah. say. Is that these books explain music theory in a way I think that's clearer and more important for us. It, there's a we are able to understand um, music at, from the creative from the the gut level it's as if you get down there and start to explain to us as you did earlier the way that talking involves so much musculature and and physical activity and when i when you said that and i thought about that i mean that's as complex as pounding on that's harder than pounding on the keys of a piano or plucking the strings of a bass yeah guitar absolutely right absolutely right see in music in my in my humble opinion, in music we we teach in, in in normal what we call music curriculum, we teach things what I call backwards. Mm-hmm. All right, so we want you to learn a bunch of rules first, basically, and play music later, to simplify it. But in our original language, the first language we learned for you and me, English, right? We learn how to use the language first. We learn what the language does. In other words, I learned very early on in the development of my language that if I say this, it's going to make a person laugh. If Mm. I say this, it's going to make a person angry. I learned much later that what I said was an adjective or what I said was a noun. That comes way later. Exactly. Right. And but in music, spurious. we learned this first. I'm sorry. It's spurious to learn. I mean, it's nice to know that it's an adjective and it has this place in the grammar in the sentence. But it's actually unnecessary because we are born with all that within us. And I suppose now thinking about it, that one of the big points of this book and your writing and I would presume your music is that we are all born with the music that we want to sing already built. It's already exists inside us. We just have to Thank figure you. out a way to get it out. Yes, Rick, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. Yes. We, we all have a connection with music. We're born with it. Mm-hmm. That's right? why we Before, dance when we hear a beat. That's why we can talk. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously. That's why we can talk. Now there mm-hmm. are languages like different versions of Chinese where the pitch of a word is built into it, mm. right? You can say the same word in Chinese in a certain language, like ma. Mm-hmm. But if you say the word ma here versus here, ma, or ma, or ma, or ma, or ma, it all means something different, right? right. Now, that's built into the language. 
but we don't realize it's built into our language also. Mm. Pitch, dynamics, tone, articulation, everything. Like, for example, you're sitting right there. I don't know if anyone's at your house, but if somebody walked in right now and said, hey, Rick, fire. <laughs> that's what you would do. Yeah. You'd laugh like, what? Now, here's the thing, Rick. The word is right. Mm -hmm. If there's a fire, that's the right word. So yeah. we understand that it's not just about the word. And in music, it's not just about the note. There's something else that can change the meaning of that word and its tone, articulation, exactly. dynamics, feel, right? For there, if there's a fire in your house, I need you to feel the word. Yeah, and you'll and, scream it, and I'll, yes. I will not be laughing. I'll be up out of the chair and looking for the fire extinguisher or the exit. Right, and here's the interesting point. Even if the word was wrong, the energy would still tell you to get out of there. Even if they came in and said, ah, 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 you know, not even a real word. You would get it because the energy's right. But in music, we teach it as if it's about the word, if it's about the note. But in music, there's only 12 notes. Right. Yeah. That's like few, that's half the alphabet. Well, it's less than half because there's yeah. only seven letters. Yeah. There's only seven letters, A to You're G. Right. Yeah. Boy, so it's, it's less than a third of the alphabet, right? But we teach you all about the notes, but we teach you in music. But we teach you very a little, very little about the other stuff. But get this, in language, it's about the other stuff first. Because when you're a baby, a toddler, an, an infant, you don't know the words. All you know is emotion. And you and you but you know exactly how to communicate with, with your all your bodily parts. You scream and cry, which is your way of saying Where's my dinner? Where's my bottle? Where's my toy? Where's my blankie? Yep. And, exactly. And, and guess what? Your parents learn your way. Exactly. Right? See, in, in music, we tell you, you're wrong. Your way's wrong. You got to learn my way. Go practice. Go practice. Right? If you were done that way in English, you'd be in your 20s or 30s before you could ever say what you wanted. Mm. But in language, we learn your way first. Right? right, and through yes. that acceptance, through that never correcting you, you maintain your freedom, and then you quickly learn our way too. Yeah, we but encourage the baby to to speak, and we don't care what the baby says so long as it it makes words, and as it makes more words, it realizes that it will get do a better job of communicating with us if it echoes the words we use. You got it, Rick. You can write the next book. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to reading it. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the th yeah. things that I, I like about this book, too, is um, the way that you use American folklore. And I'm talking now about the, the phasers, because mm -hmm. this is a, a, a you do a really good job of creating kind of a, a nemesis, uh, an antagonist. This book has a plot and a plot requires generally an antagonist and a protagonist. We, we have your protagonist, a group of musicians who come together. And I think. That the experience of that reading about that is really engaging. You do a great job of taking Thank us you. from a quotidian reality into a reality that kind of where the things that are normally hidden from us and hidden within us are externalized by virtue of the way you write about them. And mm. so that which is, I think, analogous to what you do with music. 
You have something hidden within you. You have to discover that thing within you to yeah. be able to take it out. So talk about discovering, uh, to you know what many people might think reads like a, a bit like a Stephen King book, a good Stephen King novel. Within you, yeah. you're a musician. <laughs> what the <laughs> hell? What are you doing playing around well, writing Stephen King novels? <laughs> I appreciate that, Rick. Um, the first book, the music lesson, the real only antagonist is my relationship and my reluctance. Or, and I say my being the narrator of the, the both books. But in the music lesson, the only real antagonist is, uh, and villain is, is my reluctance to totally uh, accept what the teacher Michael is telling me. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of resistance. Right. But there's no real villain, you know, and there is a... a, 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 a the, the realization that music says she's sick. Mm-hmm. So you feel that sadness during the dream chapter. But in this one, we're looking at music actually dying. And there's this group of, I don't know if you want to call them people or whatever, but that nickname, we call them the phasers, who are f- literally trying to get rid of music. And, and we come across them, we see them, we battle with them. And that is my interpretation or my version really of real life. And to give a couple, just a couple examples, Mm -hmm. there have been a ton of studies, a lot of studies that show that if kids or people in general learn music at a young age or any age, it helps you for kids. It helps them develop in life easier and better. They know when to talk, when to listen. They recognize differences because in a band, all the instruments are different. And we don't try to force the bass to be a flute. We recognize the bass is a bass and be a bass, you know. So even before we start, we tune, we agree. You know, I don't even know what to play, Rick, until I listen to what you play. Mm -hmm. So it's all about listening, talking when it's appropriate. Music teaches you all this. And it also shapes the brain in a way that math is easier. All the other... Well, music is math. Music is... That's the purity of music in many ways for me and my experience of music has been as as math, as not looking at the keys as G or A or C or whatever they are on the piano or whatever you're playing, but to understand that the where the music comes is not from the individual note, but from the relationship between the notes. So that yeah. that's a geometrical relationship, and you can look at that as all math. I look at a keyboard, and I see numbers 1 through 88 and start like thinking, well, this one is 7 apart from here, and these are 2 apart. And if you play this 2, 7 apart, and the 2 apart, that it gets you a right. certain sound. You've got it, Rick. And, 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 the, and the fact with music is you can see it mm-hmm. on paper. Exactly. You can hear it, and you can feel it, right? <laughs> It's not just a a teacher writing something on a board that you have to intellectually understand. So, Rick, if you and I know that, why doesn't everybody know that? Here's the thing is that the people in charge do know it. Mm -hmm. So then why are we taking music out of schools? Why are we despecializing music, making it like free instead of making it as special as it is? Like, you know, like now think about it you know we listen to music in headphones by ourselves not together as groups as it was supposed to be so who's making these decisions who makes the decision that i can buy a liter of coke for cheaper than i can buy eight ounces of water who makes those decisions they have to be done 
on purpose. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like the that's like the Woody Allen movie where the government wants you everybody to wear their underwear on their head. Yeah, right. As crazy as it is, yes. that's the sense. We're, we can buy a, a liter of Coke cheaper than we can buy water. The fact that we have to buy water in the first place is as silly as wearing your underwear on your head. It's so to sin. me, that's what the phasers represent. Mm -hmm. the, the they, when they, they want us to, you know, we always refer to they said or whatever. I don't know who that they is, but there's something out there that's making decisions for us that we are agreeing to that isn't right. So it's the phasers that are, uh, you know, are representing the whoever it is that are making bad decisions that we have to live by. And in this case, we're only looking at music. But in real life, there's a whole lot of these decisions being made. And like with, again, music taken out of schools, making it harder for children to get. If I want my kid to get uh, school, you know, it's not a part of my normal school. It's not a part of what we call STEM, S-T-E-M, right? In other countries, it's STEAM. They put an A in there and the Perfect. arts are included yeah, the because they recognize that. Yeah, I, earlier this year, last year rather, about a year ago this month, I've, I flew to uh, Brazil to talk to some teachers and their whole thing was STEAM and the arts was included in the science, the technology and all of that. Uh, arts was included and they recognized the art. So I was speaking to a lot of people who understood and accepted what I had to say. But over here, arts is something that's extra, uh, extra, what, extra curricular or something yes. like that. Well, and know, if I want my child to, to learn music young, I have to pay extra. I got to send them to after school program and things like that. That's a shame. You know, there's a, a cartoon that I've seen many times in many versions where somebody's presents one character presents another with like a beautiful painting and the person says that's a beautiful painting and the artist says well i worked on it for days and weeks and years and the person said the other person says can i have it for free <laughs> <laughs> which is i think the way the arts are in general recorded you're supposed to have it for free unless it it's uh, has an ancillary rights to buy um toys <laughs> Right. Exactly. When we were young, Rick, television was free and yeah. we paid for our music. <laughs> I, I <laughs> and remember. now it's totally reverse. Now, one of the things that I, the phasers I thought one that was really interesting for me was um, there's a book by a fellow named John Keel. Uh, he wrote it's called The Mothman Prophecies, made into a movie that had, of course, little to do with the book. But he writes really convincingly of what he calls the men in black. And these are not the cartoon people from the action-packed movies. These are uh, our characters exactly like you describe. Men who wear dark suits and are, have mysterious uh, errands and have a look of, I guess, offici officiousness about them. They look like they're yeah. official. And I thought you did a great job of capturing that kind of... Uh, the scary feeling of, of faceless bureaucracy, but giving the, the, that faceless bureaucracy a face. Yeah, well, that is there for those who want to read between the lines. And there's there's a really a lot of that spread throughout the book, but I just use music as the subject. You can change the title of music to whatever it is you want. <laughs> you know, you can change it to, to 
you know, people who run radio stations who can't play the music they, they want to play and the people who have to fight for funding just to play music on the radio, you know, whatever you can, you can add your title. But for me, music is still a safe thing that we can all talk about without getting upset at each other. It's hard to do that with religion. It's definitely hard to do it with politics. Mm. It's hard to do it with race or gender, but we can still talk about music without a fight. And so I used music as my method. Well, too, uh, as you amply demonstrated in the book, music is a means of communication that eludes all of the traps of language. Language, because you, when you write a word down, and it have, we have all these associations, this word, if I looked it up in the dictionary, it means this. It's all very kind of rigid and codified. Music is the absolute opposite. Any note you play really depends on what instrument it's played on, how it's played, and also, importantly, and you make this point a few times, the space between one note and the other, the absence of notes and the absence of communication is as important to communication as the pieces of communication. Yeah, if not more important. I talk about that, or I should say Isis, the character, talks about that a lot in the first book, The Music Lesson. Her Mm -hmm. whole thing is about space and zero. Mm. And where we might think of a zero in numbers, meaning nothing, but if you put a zero after the number one or any number, it multiplies that number by 10, (laughs) you know? And as my brother Joseph says, anytime you write the number one or the number two, you're really signifying what you should be writing is zero one, zero two. Exactly. Because it's zero, the space that allows the numbers, the physical, to exist. Right. Zero so the zero is the most important number. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's the same in 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 life. Mm-hmm. Zero is what's holding everything together. That's why the planet doesn't just spin out of orbit, because, you know, in the middle of that longitude, in the middle of that latitude is that central place. You know, the, the, the center of every, uh, you know, molecule, uh, basically everything, the, mm-hmm. dif- the distance between you and me depends on the space between us you know as i read this book i thought this is for musicians this book is particularly inspiring because it points often to the power of music but also to to people who just listen to music it has the effect of almost in a sense turning you into a musician because music that is not heard by any human being even perhaps the person who makes it, it is is, un, is nothing. So talk about the importance of learning how to listen to music and listening to especially the music you make. So sure. that it, it's so important if you're listen, if you're creating music, you better damn well spend almost more time listening to it. Well, to me listening is the key. You know, everything on earth has an opposite. I mm-hmm. think that's the whole the whole thing with Earth. It's it's yin yang. So producing it's in your music symbol. Exactly. That's I think that's why that symbol seemed to have found me. But yeah, listening will help you know more about what to say. Mm-hmm. It, it, the more that you listen to life, the more life will talk to you. The more you listen to music, the more music will talk to you. That's the reason if you have a best friend. 
That's the reason why they're your best friend is because that person knows that you will listen to them and you know that they will listen to you. Being a good listener is the key to life, all of life. Even if you play an instrument, you have to listen to that instrument. And not just with your ears, with your hands. You know, a, a good car mechanic listens to the engine, right? They know what, they can sit in the car and, and, and with the feel, even if they can't hear, they can feel whether that engine is tuned up properly. You know, so listening is the key. And in music, again, I relate it back to music, but it really relates to all parts of life. In music, we teach more about playing and less and less about listening. There are very few listening exercises of how to get better ears, better listening. Like in music, we do ear training and we tell you how to, you know, how to listen. Uh, if you go from a C to an E, we can, you will hear that that's a major third. And if, you know, you can take 10 seconds to get it right. But if you write a major third on your test, you get an A. But on stage, we don't need just good ears. We need your ears to be fast. And there's no exercises that speed up your ears, right? But and and at the same time, as we're listening teaching, does. just just period listening, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. But in our lessons, we teach you to hear what I hear, mm -hmm. right? The teacher, we never figure out what you hear, and let's talk about that. But we do that with our babies. Right. Mm -hmm. And when a baby is born and we have our baby, we resort to their method. We learn what their scream means when they stick their hands in paint and make a painting. It's beautiful, not because it's beautiful, but because the baby's beautiful and we're celebrating their effort, not the outcome. Mm. You know, but in music lessons, it's all about the output. But what the person wants to hear is the input. They want to feel you through the music. And in, there's not enough of that in our curriculum. And so, that's, again, this is why I write the books the way I write them. Mm -hmm. With, because in this way, it's all, I can say it's fiction. I don't have to, I don't have to, uh, to, to like, uh, take the blame. I don't have to defend any of it. I can say, I didn't say that. The character said that or whatever. But also, the, the this person reading can look at the book or read the book like they're looking at Star Wars or mm -hmm. any any fictional movie. We don't argue, we don't feel the need to argue whether Yoda's real and if what he said was real. It's just entertainment. But for those of us that know that, hey, I can just change the word the force to anything. May the force be with you. May a religious person might say, may God be with you. Right. If your parents are gone, you might say, may your parents be with you. Right. May may music be with you. You can change it to anything. So I wanted a book like that where people would take it lightly, but the information was still powerful. I, I think that what you talk about is one of the, the great reasons to do art, which is to externalize. There's so many things inside of us that we cannot express just by virtue of them being uncivil nobody wants to hear about some of those things and, and and by virtue of them being uncool or whatever or you're just worried that it's too personal mm -hmm. so uh, with both music and with this kind of writing writing in fiction you're able to 
like say, okay, well, that's not me. It's the it's these phasers, and and they ex- exemplify something that I understand, but I a is difficult to prove, difficult to experience. This way, you can analogously recreate what you experience for us in a way that we can understand it the same way you do. Yeah, exactly. And and so I think someone that has a deep enough experience f- doesn't feel a need to prove it to anyone else mm. because it's so real in them. And And my overall goal is to get people to have their own experience with music. Well, I think one of the things, too, that I liked was... Um, this idea where where you're talking about the connections between um, the musical experience and the religious experience, <laughs> because I think they're really quite similar. It, it's faith in something that you can't see. Uh, well, who I'm not sure who has the quote, but there's a, a famous quote uh, along the lines of when you play a song, it's in the air and then it's gone and it's never coming back. And yeah. how do you make that visible? And that's what you are doing with these books. Thank you. That that is my my goal is uh, is is to make it visible. But at the same time, I I I want to be aware that it's not just me telling you what's visible, but mm. pointing some things out, and you can make your decision how you choose to see it. Like a song. Mm-hmm. It's, it's up it, to you whether you like it or not. It's not up to me. I just put the song in front of you. It, it's a, well, when you say it's like a song, that's exactly right because the song that has no words, it had, but it, when you hear that song, it has a really deep meaning. Take five, say. I mean, that song has a very intense meaning and it really communicates it clearly to anybody who hears it, but they'd be hard pressed to say exactly what it means. And it's so (laughs) beautiful. I love that because you get to decide for yourself. Exactly. And, and, and also too, the way that music communicates to you is, uh, through, not through sense, not through rational, where you have a subject noun and a verb and the subject, you know, you know, the noun acts it acts on the verb so but with music it's just it's notes and it's communicating something that's very intense and very deep and i think you know a core part of human experience in many ways like the religious or faith experience absolutely and and the interesting thing about all of these is uh is we kind of get to decide what it means exactly you know yeah. Yeah. We take away what we want to from the interpretation as much or as little somebody right. some person might find take five just a kind of a light flip and it's fun and it makes you know up but somebody else might find it to be a very somber experience because mm-hmm. the notes are so true and the way it's played is so true yes and in all cases the more you learn about it your experience and your knowledge and awareness of whatever you're learning about will change and will deepen, you know, the, the, the feeling of it will, will, will take root in, in your being and in your soul. And it's the same with people. I can say, Hey, I don't like that guy, that girl, whatever. But then you go and you talk to them, you meet them, you see where they're coming from. Then you start to understand a little more. And, and your book, I think really 
is analogous to music in that you can take away with it what you want and you can understand it in the way you want. It's like you're playing with the elements of plot and character um, the same way you might bend a note. And, and you start exactly. out with a with a good, heavy, straight-ahead bass, and that, that puts us right with you at the very beginning of the book. And by the end, you're sliding your fingers up and down <laughs> the neck of that bass <laughs> guitar, and, and you're right. we're all over the place with you. Exactly. And that's what a good musician will do. You know, sometimes musicians who know too much, they leave their audience behind right at the beginning. Mm. Uh, some great jazz musicians are playing way over the audience's head as if the, the musician's way over there and the audience is saying, hey, wait a minute, you left me behind from the beginning. You know, but a good musician will start with the audience where they are and then take them on a musical journey. That's what a that's what a, a good Broadway play will do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what a good movie does. They give you something you can latch on to and you want more, then they take you on a journey. And I wanted this book to do exactly that. Well, humans, my website and podcast is called Narrative Species because I see humans as a narrative species. If I ask you who you are, you will tell me a story. And that's how you will define, that's how we define ourselves is with stories. And mm-hmm. what it's important to, what this book helps us to realize is that music itself is a story. And it's telling us something about ourselves that cannot be articulated with language. But that's critically important and, and the the threats to music that 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 you describe are, are threats to our very humanity that's what the book is alluding to and yeah because if music gets damaged we all do whether we realize it or not and there'll be people out there who say that they don't like music or they have no relationship with it and they just don't know that they do exactly because right because they think of music as an instrument and I don't play an instrument, but music's everywhere. You know, if that person who doesn't like music, all of a sudden, every movie they went to watch, every television show, every TV commercial had no music, they'd realize, wait a minute, where's the music? If they went outside and the wind didn't blow and they didn't hear the wind, they didn't hear the birds singing and the crickets at night and the frogs, if they didn't hear any of that, they'd say, wait a minute, where'd all this sound go? What they'd be missing is music, because music is more than a guitar or a piano. It's all the sound. It's the soundtracks of our lives. And this is something that I really like that you allude to many times in this book, is you describe the ambient world as having musical tones. And, Absolutely. And, and it's true. If you, I have many times sat around in my house when it's pretty quiet and you just hear the wind and, and maybe some distant traffic, but you can actually, if you listen closely, you can hear melodies in everything around you and this is absolutely what, this is one of the things there's Brian you know famously you know created in a sense he didn't create it but he gave the word of ambient music and, and I think that that is a really an interesting two-edged sword because it's taking the world of sound uh, of what we consider just chaos or noise and then transforming it through a musical vision into music and I think that that's something that you talk about so talk about hearing the music of the world when there's no musical instrument being played sure there's no musical instrument that we consider a normal musical instrument a violin a (laughs) piano a flute but when your car's riding down the highway 
and your tires are, you know, are, are hitting these bumps. There's a rhythm there, mm-hmm. right? You can even figure out how fast your car is going by the 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 rhythms or by the the sound, the pitch. You know, or like we tune in. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like we tuned we tune to A440 in mm-hmm. Western music, which is a really fast BPM beats mm-hmm. per minute. Now we're talking beats per second, okay? Right. When we talk about 440, that means it vibrates 440 times in a second. We don't have a metronome that goes that fast, so we can't call it BPMs. We call it uh, um, hertz. Exactly. So now 440, something vibrates 440 times per second. It's going to produce a certain note at a certain octave. We have agreed upon that being A. Cut that in half to 220, that's an A, an octave lower. 110, an A of octave lower, right? You keep going down, same pitch. We cut it in half. We can't use, we can't call it hertz anymore. Now we need, we're going to call it BPM, right? So We're going to call it beats per minute. You know, that's interesting because that suggests, and I've never thought of this before, that all the elements of music exist not separately, but as a spectrum and as a, a sense, a mathematical spectrum. At the very oh, bottom yeah. of the spectrum are the percussions, which bump that exactly. beats per minute. And at exactly. the top, where you're vibrating really fast, you go, or something. That's your, that is the high end of the spectrum. Those are it's, the instruments. Well, it's the high end of the, what the human can, can experience spectrum. Oh, interesting, okay. yes. I mean, think about it. You know, we're thinking beats per minute, but keep slowing it down. Now I need a watch. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, keep going down. Now I need a calendar. <laughs> you know, keep exactly. going. Now I need, you know, carve it in stone or whatever. But if you go higher, now I can't even hear it as a pitch. I might see it as color. You know, our hearing spectrum is small. Mm. Our sight spectrum is really not that big either like bees or whatever, they're seeing infrared things we can't see. So, but what we're talking about is vibration, and that's what music is. So yeah, in a sense, we can say really, it's all vibration. Vibration is important. Music. Yeah, it's really important in this book. So to, I want you to talk a little bit about how you think about vibration. Everything is a vibration. Everything, your thoughts, the wind, everything. That's what the human experience is about, the vibration. But how fast it vibrates determines our experience. And that's what we were just talking about. A note, a pitch, a rhythm, a day in the calendar, 360 days, you know, uh, 365 days around the sun or whatever. These are just vibrations, right? And we have different ways of measuring them so that we can all agree upon what we're talking about. And and this is, I guess, analogous when you hear... When uh, NASA, for instance, gives you the sounds of stars or the sounds of, of planets, you know, that they've recreated by, like, speeding up the, the, the vibrations. Exactly. Bringing them into an audio range so you can hear, you know, like what sounds to us like squeaking or maybe like whales or something. Exactly. They can and, and then they keep speeding it up and they can actually produce a photograph of that star. But that's a vibration also. You know, and I, I have some books right over here on the shelf and you can look it up online right now where they'll take either some water or they'll put some sand on a metal plate and aim a note at it, aim a speaker at it. And you can see the beautiful shapes that it makes. 
in the sand. You can just go to YouTube and look up sound and sand, and you'll see them aim a speaker at a metal plate with, with just pieces of sand or salt on it. And when they aim a certain pitch, it makes these beautiful shapes, beautiful shapes. But because of gravity, these shapes are flat. In space, there's no gravity, so the shapes are round. But the same sound, the same vibration is out there in space. And science is starting to pick up on it now. They're saying that they're dictating or, or they're noticing a, a pitch, rather, to use a musical term, that's resonating through space. And that just might be holding everything in place. Now, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was from stem to steam. I think this mm. is really critically important for us in this moment right now because we're at, a, at an inflection point where change appears at least possible so talk about what you you know here you are a super successful musician five grammys award-winning groundbreaking bands what brought you to write a book i mean that's an interesting choice for you you, you, you it's not like you have oozing with extra time well, I wanted, I, I didn't want to be the only one benefiting from this knowledge. You know, I wanted people to, to also have uh, access to this knowledge I'd either discovered or been given. You know, but also um, the first thing I started before writing books is I started a music camp. I started teaching stuff. That's what I was wanted to get to was, was to talk about what you are doing to bring music back with your camps and, and taking you know what you do out what you do at home maybe alone with your with your doll um and, and translating that to something that other people can understand and enjoy. sure uh for you and me and most people everybody the music we love the best tells a story as you said and that story that they're telling is not about music music is not about music music is about life mm -hmm. so in other words when you have an interesting life and you express it through music, people will like your music. So my camps are really about life, but it's how to express that life through music, but it's about having a life first. When I was a kid, the youngest of five brothers who all play music, my mom would say, what does the world need with just another good musician? We, she said, we have plenty, but what the world needs are good people. So. What she was telling us, if we're going to spend all this time, money, effort, energy in getting better at music, it should make us better people and in turn make the world better. And so that's that's really what my camps are about. We use music as the topic, but it's really about life. But I felt that if I if 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 Victor Wooten offered a life camp, I'd only get a few people. But if I offer a music camp, a bass camp, I'll get hundreds of people. So I bring in hundreds of people. And then we talk about life through the base, expressing life through the base, and they get it. They get it right away. The students get it, and then they leave with it. And what was happening is because this was such a different musical education than these students had ever received. They said, you should write a book. You got to put this in a book. And I didn't want to put this strange, crazy information in an instruction book. Here's the Wooten method. Plus, I didn't own it. I learned this from my brothers. I learned this from people dancing in nightclubs that I was playing at when I was five. I didn't feel like I created it. I just wanted to share it. So I stayed away from writing a book for years until it dawned on me. Don't write an instruction book. Write a story. 
write a story and then put the instruction in there. And that's what these two books are about, the music lesson and the spirit of music. The new novel by Victor Wooten is The Spirit of Music. Thank you for speaking with me, Victor. It's been a joy. Rick, thanks for having me here. I'll come back anytime. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.